Welcome to the Fullness Church Weekly Podcast. At Fullness, we value the Bible and believe it is critical to teach it clearly, remaining true to its central focus of hearing and living the transforming news about Jesus. Our hope is this teaching will do just that. Everybody good? It's good to see you. Hey, at the back table as you entered is one of these. For each person who's a part of Fullness, this is our devotional workbook for our time of prayer and fasting, which technically starts today, but our first prayer meeting will be tomorrow morning, say it with me, 6 a.m., 6 a.m., come on now, uh, 6 a.m., it's a great time um, of, of prayer. We, we ask you to be in the room, come and join together as the body of Christ. Some of you may live too far to actually drive in at that hour. There will be, um, thank you, I'm off to a roaring start here, live stream uh, tomorrow morning, and so you can join us by that, with that, but we'd love to have you in the room. Also, there's a prayer card in each one of your seats, uh, and so these prayer cards, we pray over every single morning. They won't be listed in the fullness facts. We generally, for those that are new, we usually list the prayer requests and put them out for the whole congregation. These will be private just for prayer uh, during our time of prayer and fasting. So go ahead and you can start filling it out. I won't be offended if you're writing while um, I preach the the very word of God. Um, But no, if you have a a prayer request, put it down and I'll give you an opportunity more toward uh, the end to to do that. Uh, This time of prayer and fasting Uh, We're calling it Renew because we believe that there is something both individually, corporately, really universally that needs renewing in our lives, in our world. Uh, If we don't think our nation needs renewing, then maybe we should go back to the person. We're going to talk about personal renewal today. So the idea that we're giving you a picture of, if you think of the temple, you have the Holy of Holies. And then you have a more public setting, and a more public setting, and a more public setting. So we're going to start at the very interior of the temple, the Holy of Holies. We're going to talk about personal renewal, the fire of God in our lives today. And then next, and we're going to pray through that every day this week. So every day this week, you'll find that your devotion and prayer guide is on personal renewal. The next Sunday, I'll do a sermon on corporate renewal, the church, our church, our local body. Then that week, we're going to pray about that every day. Final week is going to be on more national revival, and we're going to pray for that every single, every single day. You get the picture? We're going to start interior and move out. So today, we're going to talk about personal renewal. Um, Paul says this in Ephesians, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Uh, we, we are in a sense renewed when we come to, not a sense, in a reality, we're renewed when we come to know Jesus Christ as the one who rules our lives and forgives our sins. But there's also a command inherent in here that says, be renewed. 
It's like we've been renewed, but we need renewal every day. And I, I don't know about you, but I pick up the dirt of the world. I pick up the junk of the world. And in this process, we need to step into and embrace the renewal of God in our lives. And that's really what prayer and fasting is all about. It's, it's an acknowledgement. We've been living our lives in a certain way, and we need to step into this place of renewal. And all of us need it. Whether we know it or not, we all need it. So prayer and fasting, just to review just for a second um, for those of you who weren't here last week. There is a, an action of prayer. We, we choose to pray. It's putting our requests before God. And we're, we're actively pursuing the purposes and plans of God in prayer. And then in fasting, there's a denial of uh, saying, I'm going to set this aside. Where prayer is actively pursuing, fasting is denial of things that are in our lives in order for the purpose of actively pursuing God. It's this combo, and you'll see it throughout the, the teachings of Jesus. Just to remind you, Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, he comes down from the Mount, he found, finds nine of his disciples trying to cast a demon out of a boy, trying to heal him. They can't do it. There's a big crowd around. Everybody's observing. And Jesus really, to his disciples, says, you unbelieving and perverse generation. He's saying, you don't have enough belief, and you're too impacted by the world. What you're pursuing is what you don't need to pursue, and what you need to pursue, you're not pursuing. So in fasting and prayer, what we're doing is we're saying, I'm going to put aside some of the cares of the world, social media, food, um, what, whatever, television, movies, you, you, you choose, really where God directs you to fast and to give up something, to, to set it aside for the purpose of seeking after him, believing in him. After Jesus cast the demon out of the boy, he comes back to that. The disciples say, why couldn't we do it? And he said, this kind can only come out by prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting. And he didn't mean at this very moment, you should have started fasting. And prayer. He means there's this constant state of renewal that we need in our lives. Our belief is this. Our belief is that you, Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says this, I pray that your entire spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless till the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We believe that you individually are made up of spirit. spirit your spirit is darkened until you come to know Jesus Christ as the one who rules your life and forgives your sins. Then the Holy Spirit comes in and dwells you. His very presence is in your life. Your darkened human spirit becomes light in him. And then there's the soul area of your life, which we'll call the mind, will, and emotions, that most of us dwell in. And then there's the body area, the physical, the carton uh, that we, we, we carry around. And Paul is praying that all of those things, spirit, soul, and body, be kept blameless till the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Part of the problem is that every moment of every day, most of us are feeding our souls. We're feeding our mind, will, and our emotions. And our soul is saying to us, feed me. Feed me. Give me more. 
Give me more of this. Give me more of that. And through the body, we allow the media, the, the, the cares of the world, the food of life, the whatever come into our lives. And our soul is always saying, feed me more. And if we're not careful, we become driven soul creatures. And what fasting does, it says to the soul, not today. I am not feeding you today. Instead, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dwell and meditate through the Spirit of God. I'm saying no to these things. I'm denying my soul. Some things are really good. I think food's good. I think it's necessary to live. But I'm saying to my soul, not, no. Today, I'm saying no to you in order to hear from God. It's not just the denial of something for no purpose. It's the denial of something with the purpose of seeking after God, to hear him in our lives. So what I'm asking you to do as Fullness Christian Fellowship is over the next 21 days to say, okay, I'm, I'm saying no to my soul. And for you, you know what your soul is crying for, what it's saying to you, give it to me. And you're saying, no, I am saying, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. So I'm saying no to feeding you in order to seek after God because I need personal renewal. Personal renewal. And now turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I know, long intro. I'll try to move uh, through this. And today I really do just want to teach through this passage and to talk about it. I'm not illustrating much. I, I just want you to know, I, I really believe the word of God will speak in and of itself to you and, and hopefully connect with you. Paul is talking to a church in Corinth. He'll be fine. He's going to live. I'm confident uh, that he's going to be okay. So don't worry about Elijah. He'll be fine. Um, so <laughs> in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul is speaking to a church who has gotten way out of whack. The church in Corinth is a mess, and I can't untangle all their mess today, but there's some specific things about their mess that Paul is addressing in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. One of them, which I'm not even going to address today, but I want to give you the background because I love to teach, is this. They were bringing lawsuits against one another. Uh, they were suing one another in the church. And Paul is saying, hey, this is not the way we treat one another. This is not the way the body of Christ operates. So in the first part of chapter 6, he gives some principles where he says, look, I want you to refuse to engage in trivial disputes. That's not who you are. Lawsuits are just trivial compared to the greater glory of what God has for you. Remember who you are versus who you used to be. Inherently in this passage, he's saying, you're acting like you used to be versus who you really are. Quit acting like that. Um, and then recognize the call to overcome. It's really not about suing your brother and getting money and taking stuff. Instead, it's about the call to overcome in the world. This is the first half of the chapter. By the way, these are great principles to like look at, pray at, and pray through. And then in the second half of this passage, Paul has kind of come to a very specific 
aspect, and it has to do with the sexual dynamic that's taking place within the church. And what has occurred is that there are a group of, we'll call them um, people who are living by liberty. They're saying, look, when I came to know God, my body, my spirit was renewed. Remember the whole spirit, soul, and body thing? My spirit was renewed. And therefore, my spirit person is going to go be with the Lord forever. So what I do with my body doesn't affect my spirit. Therefore, I can live however I want physically because the body's going to burn one day. It's going to die. It's going to go to dust. And therefore, I can do whatever I want to with my body. I can, and they obviously had expanded this definition to a sexual ethic where they said, look, sleeping around is no big deal. It's just like, you know, I get hungry, I eat. Ever heard that today where we've uh, equated sex to food? Look, it's just a, it's a drive that I need to fulfill. They were saying that 2,000 years ago in the church in Corinth. And um, not only that, but the church in Corinth was very heavily influenced by the temple uh, prostitution that happened in the, in the temple to Aphrodite. Aphrodite's the goddess of love. Uh, supposedly, during Paul's time, there, this temple of Aphrodite and Apollo had about a thousand temple prostitutes, which reenacted the whole aspect of love and fertility in the temple. And during the day, they were um, temple goddesses, and at night, they were prostitutes. So the, the whole culture was inundated sexually. Um, and it was also an economic driver for the city of Corinth. People would come from all over the place. Uh, let's go worship at the temple of uh, Aphrodite, if you know what I mean. Uh, so they would go to the temple of Aphrodite. They'd pay their money. All the money was generated, and sex was a driving force. Paul's going to talk about that issue here. But in case you didn't know, we also are a nation driven by sexual appetites. It's estimated that the average person views over 9,000 sex acts or implied sex acts every year on television. Of that, over 80% is by people who, don't, who aren't married. By the, an average kid watching television from age 8 to 18, that's 10 years, probably has watched 93,000 scenes of sex. These are just estimates, by the way. Some go lower, some go much, much higher. Over 72,000 of these scenes um, would have been premarital or extramarital affairs. And in case you don't think the economic factor is hard at work, pornography in the U.S. alone is estimated to be a $15 billion a year business. By the way, the estimates range from $9 billion to $87 billion a year. Uh, most people feel like $15 billion is actually a low number, but in the $15 billion a year, do you think they're going to give that up and say, you know, this is bad for us, this is unhealthy? No, you watch television stuff, It'll say, this is fine. How many of you watch Friends? Come on, raise your hand. You've watched Friends. One of the things that always struck me about Friends, by the way, was 
the, not only acceptance, but the embracing of pornography. Joey and Chandler got free porn one time. They never left the room. They just talked about having free porn. You remember the episode, some of you who watched Friends. But you know what that did, as funny as it seemed to be at the moment? It's told a younger generation, you know, porn is fine. It's good. It's good. And free porn is even better. We are inundated with this. If you're hungry, eat food. If you have sexual appetites, feed it. I will be, listen, by the way, you may not know this, but this is not a sermon on sex today. Um, I could, could, because that's where Paul is dwelling, but I think he's going to give us some principles to live by that are very important for personal renewal. But I do want to say this. It's amazing to me if a teenage boy makes it through in America without being addicted to pornography. And now teenage girls as well. That's how rampant it is. And it doesn't matter if you go to church or don't go to church. It is, it is free and available and easy to obtain. And it's addictive. Paul is addressing this in this passage. And I could, and I, by the way, I think the church has done a terrible job of addressing sex. I think we've been awful at this. We've either ignored it or kind of danced around it, like, oh, we can't talk about sex. Everybody else is. We might as well enter the discussion uh, and talk about what does God have to say about this issue, because God actually has a lot to say about it. So why not enter the discussion? And Paul is talking to a church that has gone totally off the rails and saying, look, everything is fine for me. Everything is fine for me. One of the areas of personal renewal, I, I believe, is in the spirit man, we need to let the truth of God permeate our spirit, soul, and body, our mind, our will, and our emotions to extend to the physical carton that we have because he wants to redeem us all, totally, completely, in every arena of our life, including the sexual component of our lives. Look... Chesterfield said this, one of the proofs that there is a God is that he made sex enjoyable. He, he said, he goes back and says, look, he could have made sex just about procreation and you have to do it. And if the human species is going to survive, then you've got to, it's your duty to have sex. But no, God made sex to be pleasurable and to enjoy it. What kind of God is that? that we serve, that, that gives us this joy and this pleasure. And Chesterfield will say, embrace it in the right context. Embrace it in the way that God intends. So look at the, let's look at this passage. I, I, I won't stray far from the sexual ethic, but at the same time, I think there are even bigger principles of life that are here that may apply. You may be saying, you know, this, this particular area of um, Sexual addiction or sexual ethic is not something I'm struggling with currently, but I would say, hey, listen, it, it's not far. It's not far from your door. And there are other issues that you're struggling with. The devil knows where you're struggling, and he doesn't want to leave you alone. 
So he'll, he'll present whatever thing it is. And I think these principles will apply. Okay, here's the passage. 1 Corinthians 6. I'm going to read it, and then I'm going to draw these uh, conclusions from it. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 12 and following. Paul says this, Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food for the stomach and the stomach for food, but God will destroy them both. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Let me pause just for one second here. Six times in this chapter, Paul says, do you not know? The first three have to do with uh, suing one another, and the second three times have to do in this passage. The, and the implication is this, you don't know. When he says, do you not know? He's implying, you don't know. You don't know who you are. Could that be true for us today? We don't know who we are. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But he who unites himself with the Spirit is one with him in spirit. Flee for sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? who is in you, whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. So, not straying far from the sexual ethic that Paul is trying to present here, I also want to give you uh, some principles, I think, that you can draw. Because Paul is talking about sex and the sexual ethic, but he makes a higher appeal when he says, do you not know who you are? And so I want to look at this aspect of personal renewal from the aspect of, do you not know who you are? And what has happened is you have fed your soul so much that you think your desires are who you are, and they are not. They are not. You are so much more in him. So here are the principles. First principle is this. Resolve to live by what is best. Oh, Pastor Bart, that seems obvious. Oh, no, no, no. Not quite so obvious. Paul says this. Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. So do you see how the everything is permissible for me is in quotes? So Paul is probably quoting the libertarians in the church who are saying, Hey, everything's fine for me. I can live however I want. I've been renewed. My spirit man is fine. I, everything is permissible for me. This, this everything is permissible for me always bothered me a little bit because I want to say to Paul, not everything is permissible for me. He's, he even says it. But he, what he's saying is he's quoting them, so to speak, to say, your line is this, everything is permissible for me. And he doesn't attack that. He doesn't say, no. It's not permissible. He, I think for the sake of argument, he's saying, 
Okay, let's say everything is permissible for you in Christ. You're asking the wrong question. Confession. The kids in my high school, the major question when it came to dating and sexual ethic was this. How far can I go? How far, can, how far is too far? Is kissing too far? We know that sex is too far. But somewhere between kissing and sex, there's a pretty, there's a lot you can do. Look at Bill Clinton. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. That's what he said. Why? Because in his definition of what was permissible, he knew, I don't mean literally look at Bill Clinton, he's, he's struggling these days, but um, he was saying, look, what mattered was I didn't have, I did not have sexual relations with that woman. Now, the fact I had oral sex with her, that doesn't count, does it? We asked the question, how far is too far? Can I kiss? Can I touch? Blah, blah, blah. When you get to that question, how far is too far, you're asking the wrong question. Why? Paul is saying this. Let's pretend everything is permissible for you. But the what you should be asking is this, what is beneficial? What is profitable? What will spur me on to life and godliness? How should I act then? If you want personal renewal, quit asking, how far can I go? And instead, say, God, what can I do to live for you in every moment of every day? It's a totally different question that directs the course of your life. Every moment of every day. First principle, resolve to live by not what's okay, but what is best in your life. Second point that I think he's doing, he's trying to say is this, resist being mastered by anything. You've got one master, God himself, Jesus Christ, your Lord, empowered by the Holy Spirit. He says, he says this quote again, everything is permissible for me. I think he's hammering them by now. And he says, but I will not be mastered by anything. Here's the question you have to ask yourself. What are the masters of your life? What are the masters of your life? Confession. This may bother some people in some churches that the pastor is at some level vulnerable. I hope it doesn't bother you too much. Um, But for me, let's take alcohol, for instance. I'm not bothered by drinking alcohol. It doesn't, I've never been addicted. I've never been mastered. I don't overdrink. I don't overindulge. I don't drink every night. There's a whole list. So if I go out with friends and I want to have a glass of wine, it doesn't bother me. I don't think it's unbiblical to have a glass of alcohol with your meal. If God directs you to a different conclusion for you, I think it's a debatable issue. Therefore, feel free not to indulge with my blessing. But there are tons of reasons I think you shouldn't drink. If you come from a family of alcoholics, if you come from a place where you're 
arranging your life to go home at night to have that glass of wine, if you're cutting off friendships because you say, I don't want to go to dinner with them because they don't want to drink, I want to drink, you're starting, you're tiptoeing into or have fully planted yourself in the ground of it's your master. You're making life decisions based on that issue. I'm fine with it. I'm fine without it, personally. But if I came from a family of alcoholics, I would never touch the stuff. I don't want to be mastered. And, and I, I've, in recent years, reevaluated my whole relationship with alcohol, mainly because of other people that I know who have become mastered by it, who I never dreamt would. And I look at my life and I say, did I in some way contribute to that? Did I do something with them and for them that said, hey, this is okay? Not only do I not want to be mastered by it, but I don't want to lead anybody else to be mastered by it as well. So, where do I stand today? I don't. It depends on the day you ask me. Honestly concerning alcohol, but I, Paul is saying, he's applying it to the sexual ethic, but I think it applies to everything. Are you mastered by social media? Are you addicted every time you pick up your phone? Are you scrolling? Are you mastered by television? Are you mastered by the news and the media? Are you mastered by alcohol? Are you mastered by sexual components? Listen, there's a whole list here, but Paul's, if you want personal renewal, number one, don't be, you've got one master. Serve him. Serve him. And if you find anything else is becoming a master in your life, put it aside. It's not worth it. Because I can guarantee you this, it will own you. That's what addictions do. They take over your lives and own you. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires over their hearts to sexual impurity, I'm quoting from Romans, obviously, for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator, who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Listen, the passage in Romans is this. The, Paul is saying in Romans, they became addicted to it, so God gave it to them. It sounds so harsh to say God gave them over. Really, he's just saying, look, you took the path. I let you go, so to speak. Now, that's a simple explanation, but this is an area where Paul is again saying, God gives them over to their own desires. Praise God as children of God. He doesn't let us go far without yanking and saying, come back, come back. At some point, you'll cut the leash, so to speak. You'll say, no, I want it. This is what I want. I hear the voice of God, but I'm going for it anyway, this thing. Don't be mastered by anything. Third is this. Realize who you belong to. Who do, who do you belong to? You have to answer, people, this, is, this could be the most important question of the day. Who do you belong to? Americans, we're taught 
Who do we belong to? We belong to ourselves. I am me. Everything from in every corner says, I'm a perfect whatever I am, and you can't question it. I belong to me. And the center of me has led us down a road where, in fact, it's not us who is being mastering us. If you think that you belong to you is going to lead you to a mastery of you, you are deceived. You will still be mastered by those things within your heart. Those things that you're feeding your soul. Whether it's a sexual component, a food component, a drug component, a media component. Whatever it is that's making you think, this is me. No, it's not. You become that thing that masters you and that you belong to. Instead, Paul says this. Food for the stomach and stomach for food. Notice it's in quotes again. I think what he's saying, again, I think what he's saying here to the libertarians is you're saying that sex is like food. Food for the stomach and stomach for food. Sex for, to meet these desires. But God will destroy them both. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. And the Lord for the body. That's a powerful, by the way, theological statement. Your body is meant for the Lord, and the Lord is for your body. He's not against your physical carton, your component. He made you in his image, and he's for you, and he wants to indwell you and infill you and empower you. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your body is a temple? You know, we're using this temple analogy. Why? Because Paul uses it, that your body is a temple. It's, a temple is where the presence of God dwells. And your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God. You are not only, you are not your own, you were bought at a price, therefore honor God with your body. Listen, people, again, I, if I could give you one point that I think will change your perspective, change your life, it's this. Realize who you belong to. I, and state it in a clear way, verbally, to say, I belong to the Lord. I am a temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, you may look at yourself in a mirror and say, I, I don't look, I, I don't know. I messed up today. So what? You messed up today. Praise God. He's going to forgive you. He, he wants to renew you. That's this whole personal renewal aspect. God is saying, I, you're mine. I love you. Realize who you belong to. Do you not know? And then finally is this. And this is kind of part of the prayer and fasting aspect. Refrain from questionable situations. Refrain from questionable... Going back to the alcohol component, if I had a problem with alcohol, I don't think I'd ever go to a bar. Why? Because that's where the temptation... I could say, you know what? God doesn't prohibit me from going to a bar. Well, no, he doesn't prohibit you from going to the bar. But if you know that once you get there, it's more likely you're going to take a drink, and if you have one drink, you can't have just one. It's either one or ten. 
You know, once I hit one, I'm on that slide to 10. And so there's nothing, I, if I start, I'm done because it's got mastery. Don't go there. Is this rocket science? You know what I mean? If, if it's going to tempt you to do this, don't go there where you'll be tempted. Most of us were like, you know what? I can play with fire. I can do it. It'll be fine. I love watching YouTube videos of idiots who have put gasoline all over this wood thing, and then they stand next to it to light it, and the, the whole thing just explodes. Their yard burns up, and they're okay. <laughs> they don't die. I haven't seen anyone die in them yet, but it cracks me up because they got no eyebrows anymore, and, you know, they're just... What, what is our problem? We were like, I can do this. I can play with this gas and fire thing, and I'll be fine. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? The implication here is what? No. Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. We think of this in marriage, which it is, but there's a whole aspect of soul ties here. Of you, Paul is saying this, look, physical sexual activity is not just like eating food. There's something different about it. He doesn't say, he doesn't say with, with uh, you and, and, and chocolate cake, oh, the two will become one flesh. I mean, he doesn't put it at that same level. I mean, obviously, it's going to get in you and become a part of you, but it's not at the same. It's not the same as this section. There's something about sex that God created that's special, that's different, that therefore, sinfully, all sin is sin. You know, right? All sin is sin. But some sin is different than other sin. Why? Because it has a different effect. And that's what he's saying about sin. All other sins a man commits are outside his body. But he who sins sexually sins against his own body. So here's some points, and I don't really have time to, to, to just scribble them down and then look at them. When we're refraining from questionable situations, here are, when you sin sexually, when we sin sexually, who are we sinning against? What are we sinning against? Paul says these things. You're sinning against the church. Some of us are like, wait a minute. Does that even matter? I don't have time for this. Maybe next week I'll get into it. But yes, it matters. I don't want you to quit sinning just because it affects me and us. But I want you to quit sinning because it affects me and us. There is an effect of sexual sin on the church, on the body. We're members of Christ himself, the body of Christ. And this sexual sin affects the body of Christ. It affects the other person. There, you know, we talk about sex as a... I can't think of the word. I'm sorry. I'm running out of words. You have victimless crime. Like prostitution is a victimless crime. But it's not. Because it's sin technically, it's in the biblical sense, you're sinning against the other person. The two will become one flesh. 
It's a sin against Christ himself. But he who unites with the Lord is one with him in spirit. And when we sin sexually, we're sinning against both the body of Christ and Christ himself. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You're not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God. Honor God with your body. And we may not see this as a big deal, but actually you're sinning against yourself. Against yourself. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside the body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Against himself. But a man who commits adultery lacks judgment. Whoever does so destroys who? Himself, according to Proverbs. People, here's, here's the point. And I know I've talked about one thing and another thing. These principles, I believe, that I've given you can apply to all situations in the sense of what are principles to live by. But at the same time, we're in such a hypersexualized culture that we need to continually examine where we are in relationship to sexual purity and sexual ethic. I wish I could say, I wish I could say, in a congregation of 200 plus that are here today, that if I were to do an honest to God survey, you know, like no lying, no, no pulling back, that we could say, you know what? There is no one in this room who is sinning sexually. They're not having sex outside of marriage. They're not watching pornography. They're not watching and imagining things that they shouldn't. <laughs> My problem is I know. I know stuff going on. I know things that are happening. And in our country, at this moment in time, with the availability of everything, if we were below 50%, I'd be amazed. And you're saying, wait a minute, you don't think very much of us to think that half, a hundred people in this room are start struggling with sexual things? I think I'm being unbelievably generous. Why? Because we live in a culture that is inundated with this. If we want personal renewal, let's, start, let's just start there. Let's start with the sexual component of our lives. To so say, God, I want to be pure, holy. I want to unite myself to one master, and that is you. Listen, for others in this room, it may be something else. You may say, I don't know who he's talking about. I can't believe they're struggling with this. <laughs> they are. You can sit there in judgment, or you can say, God, I want to stand with my brothers and sisters in Christ for freedom. But I would say this. Find out what you're struggling with. There's something. The devil isn't leaving you alone. There's something in your life. And today we're going to begin personal renewal by saying, God, set us free. 
Set us, we want to walk in freedom before you. Now, you don't have to confess on these cards what it is that's mastering your life or that you're struggling with. These prayer cards are meant for anything that you need prayer for. Maybe you need prayer for wisdom. Maybe you need prayer for healing. Or maybe you need prayer for freedom. All of those are available without judgment. Amen? Without judgment. Sometimes the worst place you can go and say you're struggling with something, especially sexually, is church. And that's a crime, I think, against the body of Christ. Instead, let's just say, I'm struggling. Let's go. Okay, let's pray. Let's pray for freedom. Let's pray for life. Let's pray that God will release you to walk in his purposes. Do you not know who you are? Today, I know who I am. I am a temple of the Holy Spirit who indwells me. I have the very presence of God living in my life. I, I am more than an overcomer because Christ has already overcome. I have the mind of Christ. I am victorious in him. Yes, I may stumble and fall, but that's not who I am. Here's who I am. If we want to see revival break out, I think we start with a recognition of who we are in him and claim it and say, you know what? I'm putting everything else aside. This 21 days, I'm putting food aside. I'm putting alcohol aside. I'm putting social media aside. I'm putting media aside. I hope for more than 21 days, we'll put pornography aside. But start there. Start there and see what God will direct your life, and how much freedom you'll have in it. Lord, we thank you right now. Let freedom rule and reign in this place. Lord, I, I want to be the temple. I am the temple of the Lord. I do have the Holy Spirit indwelling me. I want to walk in freedom. I want to walk in life. I don't want to be mastered by anything. I want to I live according to whose I am and who I am. I want to flee all immorality. God, I want, to, I want to live for what's best, not just for what's permissible. I want to live according to your plans and your purposes for my life. God, I pray you move in this place in, in, in great measure. Lord, as we come into this time of fasting and prayer, I pray that, God, you would lead us, direct us, burn off the dross, the junk that's in our lives, and then let the freedom of the Lord rule and reign. God, we thank you. We bless you. God, you're so good to us that you love us still in the middle of all this. Blessed be your name. Thank you for joining us today. We hope this teaching blessed you. If you ever find yourself in the Birmingham, Alabama area, come check us out. For more information, please visit fullness.life.